Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, one of the things that I'm proudest of about this podcast is that we are probably a little bit too committed to staying on brand. Despite the fact that we talk about Tim Tebow every single episode, we talk about the Mets every single episode, we talk pretty much about A-Rod every single episode at this point, we are not as committed to the brand as when 538.com. They released an article headlined, We Calculated Advanced Stats for the Congressional Baseball Game. <laughs> Subheader, what? You're surprised? <laughs> 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 At least they're like self-aware, you know, like, like they're in on the joke. I think like 40% of the time, I think so much of the world has improved because people who are committed to the brand are now self-aware of it. And when people are not self-aware of their own brand, it starts to, they just start to be roasted so hard for it that they have to, to give in. Um, this article unearths some, some fascinating, fascinating nuggets about the, uh, about the congressional baseball game, which I know that I tune in for every year. I mean, I'm assuming you as you do as well, Bobby. I think implicitly I knew that it happened, but I don't think that I've ever, my eyes have never set sight on this beautiful thing. Oh my God. I sit, I spend three hours of my, of my <laughs> Wednesday evening and sit down with a, with a brewski and the bros to watch, uh, to, to, you know, watch, watch Kevin Brady, uh, strike out on three straight pitches. You know what you, who you won't be watching strike out on three straight pitches? Cedric Richmond, who turns out to have amassed two and a half war in only eight games, Alex. This is something that they actually asked a 538 staff writer to spend their time doing. And I'm sure they were like, this is the most exciting thing I have on my plate for this week. <laughs> uh, much of that is pitching war. He has a 2.2 ERA. Um, I guess the league ERA is like seven. So... <laughs> respect to respect to Cedric Richmond. Uh and he's also slashing 652, 758, 1087. And he has the game's only home run in the past 10 years. So Cedric Richmond, um, Frankie Montes just got suspended. I don't know if you want to come uh come try out <laughs> for the Oakland A's, but uh we're looking for people right now. All right, we're gonna get we're gonna get to a week, a week, a week in Mets News. But before we do, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And this is Tipping Pitches, the podcast that is committed to remaining on brand at all times. Alex, we're starting off this episode with a segment that I am dubbing See You Tomorrow, Mickey. And hopefully we do see Mickey tomorrow, although we might not. He might not have a job by the time this podcast posts. The reason for that is. This past Sunday, Mickey Calloway, as many of you will know, got into it with Newsday Beat reporter Tim Healy, who uttered the phrase, see you tomorrow, Mickey, to him as they were leaving the clubhouse. He told he told him not to be a smart-ass motherfucker and to leave the clubhouse. Um, and many people know that Jason Vargas also got himself involved by saying, I'll fuck you up, bro. So things should hit the fan, Alex. Should hit the fan. Calloway and Vargas were both fined $10,000. Neither of them were suspended or have been suspended yet at this time of recording and I assume that they won't be. Um, and then one day later, 
uh, a story dropped in the New York Post about how Mets GM Brody Van Wagenen, the topic of much conversation on this very podcast, it has been reported that he has been calling into the dugout from home while watching games and asking them to remove Mets ace Jacob deGrom. To that, I, I sympathize with that, Brody. I sympathize with wanting to be able to make decisions from your couch at home. And he's in a position of power much higher than me, uh, just as, you know, Mets fan, Mets super fan. But this is very unorthodox behavior for a GM to be calling the manager in the middle of games. Alex, my large takeaway here is that it seems like the roof is always caving in with the Mets. And my question to you, having heard all of this crazy shit delineated from the last week, is the roof always caving in because they are actually this incompetent? Or is the roof always caving in because we're always asking if the roof is caving in? And more importantly, New York reporters are always asking if the roof is caving in. <laughs> uh, there is so much to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing my NYU degree and I would like to sit around a table and we can all unpack this together. Um, <laughs> on the one hand, I think that sometimes a lot of like the lol Mets drama uh, that you see unfolding on Twitter, and it's mostly on Twitter and places of social media, and the very like kind, kind of performative martyrdom of the fan base that you that you see a lot. I think to an extent, like some of it's overblown, right? Like like the team has, all things considered, been good or at the very least competent over the last um, four or five years, and they've had a couple playoff appearance appearances. And if you just look at like performance on paper, like. They have not been as, I suppose, they haven't been as incompetent as a franchise as, say, the Marlins or something like that. Um, that high bar there. Yeah, high bar. <laughs> that being said, the roof absolutely <laughs> is caving in. And I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's it's because reporters are are making it out to be like that, or even because fans are screaming for Mickey Calloway's head, um, although they've been doing that since like the beginning of May. Uh, yeah, I think last year this is also, yeah. <laughs> um, I think you have to acknowledge that this is an issue that goes all the way to the top and the Mets have been dealing with these sorts of like mini catastrophes le- left and right since the Wilpons have been majority owners of the Mets for the better part of the last two decades. Um, so you might say that Mickey Calloway totally lost his cool and he should probably be fired because you don't talk to a reporter like that. Um, you could say, not only do you not talk to a reporter like that, you don't come out afterwards and say, Billy Martin punched a reporter one time. I'm a passionate guy about baseball. I'm a tough competitor. So saying that what you did wasn't as bad because you didn't punch the reporter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talk about low bars. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think that if you look at all of these incidents individually, you might be able to, if they happened on on a variety of different franchises, you might be able to chalk them up to to bad tempers or ill-equipped GMs or anything like that. But taken as a whole, all you can do is say like there's something rotten in the franchise, and it's not the manager. And <laughs> good or bad as Brody Van Wagenen might be, it's not the GM either, right? Like it's yeah. it starts at the very top and the only thing that is going to make these sorts of situations better is by rooting that out. I'm sorry to say it. It's not anything different than we've said on this podcast before, but uh, 
I think it bears repeating in instances like this, that this sort of poison kind of boils down from the very top. It's definitely a lot of organizational malpractice, and there's definitely a lot of weird things that happen. I think my question for you, as someone who is by definition more neutral than me, because I'm obviously a gigantic fan of the Mets, and I tend to kind of react emotionally to all of this stuff as everybody could and probably should. Um, But my question for you would be, is everything that's gone on with the Mets in the last two years, is it really that much more incompetent than other franchises or is it just weird? And if it is weird, how do these things keep stacking up? Is it just divine luck? Because it reminds me a lot of what's happened with the Sixers in the NBA. I, I think that it's a little bit of both. You have things that happen to the Mets bizarrely that are just unexplainable forces of the baseball gods, like uh, like one Noah Syndergaard contracting um, hand, foot, hand, and mouth hand, disease. Hand, hand, foot, and mouth disease, t- <laughs> toe and ear disease. I mean, like <laughs> head, shoulders, knees, and toes disease. <laughs> I mean, or Brandon Nemo this- cooking raw chicken. <laughs> Some of this stuff is like the the writers of this season got really lazy and they just went down Wikipedia holes (laughs) and just started throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Um, So I I think that it's a little bit of both in that there are these like weird confluences of things that that happen that it's like, all right, this, sure, we'll chalk this up to some bizarre mistake or something like that. Noah Syndergaard shouldn't hang out with kids anymore. But the other... The other more organizational stuff feels, I guess, somewhat inherent to the team. And it goes back to what I was saying before, and I don't want to like beat a dead horse, but like the the stuff about Brody managing from his office or, or something like that, go you can trace that a direct line back to the Wilpons, who are notorious for for micromanaging. And and Ken Rosenthal yeah. has a report, right, about how um about how they basically used Callaway like a puppet. Um, so would some of this stuff happen on other teams? Yeah, probably. You'd probably see a another uh, short-tempered manager chewing out a reporter or something like that. But the larger, more organizational stuff feels somewhat inherent, I think. I think the most frustrating part for me as a fan is that it's like they can tie their left shoe, but they can't tie their right shoe. Like they develop a lot of good young players and they've made a decent amount of good draft picks, right? Like finding Jacob deGrom in whatever round from Stetson University as a shortstop and converting him into the best pitcher in baseball last year and hopefully he can get back to that form this year is amazing. Finding Pete Alonso and him hitting 27 home runs this year so far and already breaking the Mets rookie record in, in June, all of that is amazing. Having that young rotation, making the World Series in 2015, making shrewd moves at that time by Sandy Alderson and under a small budget. All of that stuff is amazing. But something that I've talked about on the Ringer MLB show before is that it seems like they only ever want to put one foot in the door and leave one foot out. And I just, I guess I just don't understand how all of this noise that never collectively seeps through to the organization. Like, it seems like all of the fans have fucking figured it out, you know? It seems like we have figured out a lot of the problems stem from them not wanting to spend the money to be a real franchise. And a lot of the problems stem from the Wilpons. And I guess because of that, like the buck sort of stops with them and they can control whether or not any of this criticism ever breaks through and makes a real uh, demonstrable difference or not. But 
it, to that extent, like it reminds me of a lot of franchises with terrible owners who can just never get better because, like you said, like that is the rotten part of the team that needs to be carved out. I just don't know if if the, Wilpon sold the team tomorrow, like would that stop Robinson Cano's quad from tightening up? Like would that stop hand, foot, and Mets disease? Like would that stop? All of this other stuff that like it it seems like strikes at every corner and then everyone gets into a hysteria about it. I feel like it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. And the New York media blows itself up a lot as like this very intimidating, very powerful entity. And I roll my eyes at that a lot. But in instances like this, it's like they have created the self-fulfilling prophecy for the Mets. Anytime anything happens, the New York media jumps on it really quick. And it's like we're grabbing our SEO. We're grabbing our headline. We're grabbing our funny LOL Met story where we put an emoji in the push notification. You know what I mean? It's like, they are the laughing stock. And I hate to admit that, but because they, as a franchise, they haven't had any less success over the last nine or 10 years than their rival 90 miles to the South, Philadelphia, who have gone through an epic rebuild and are kind of at the same place as the Mets right now, but are doing it with a lot less noise. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely a factor of the market that they're playing in. I mean, you could look to a team like the Marlins who have had similar levels of incompetency coming from the ownership group. And it certainly didn't die down with the transfer of ownership. In fact, I think, uh, I think it only made us pay more attention once Derek Jeter took over because, uh, it's quite easy to, to dunk on our boy, but, um, but they just don't get as much attention because they play in Miami and they're bad and it's pretty easy i'm sorry marlins fans to uh to ignore what's going on with them just because they're never uh under the scrutiny of the national media 100% of the time um i think all this to say bobby uh that that you and i and and every other mets fan on twitter on reddit wherever uh, thinks that they could do a do a better job running this team than the the current people running it, and I don't know, they might not be wrong. <laughs> I mean, none of us have the institutional knowledge, right? Like, none of us know how to manage contract structure and stuff like that. I always laugh when people think that they can do a better job than Brody Van Wagenen or whatever. I I do like. I think it's respectable sometimes when people are like, I wish there was just like a, a dumb logic person in the room sometimes. But that that's neither here nor there. I think the silver bullet for all of this is if the Mets win a World Series. That's the only way we can wash away all of this stuff. That's the only way we could turn over a new leaf. And it, it came so close in 2015, I almost feel like we're living in an alternate reality. You know? Yeah. Like, it, we got so close to the brink of wiping the slate away, of erasing the board, and... uh didn't quite make it, and so stuff became even more haywire because of that. Uh, to that point, we're going to move on in just a sec, but before we do, we're going to debut a new segment called the Going Through It Fan of the Week. Uh, clearly among you and I, I am the Going Through It Fan of the Week, but that's not what this segment is going to be. We're going to find an online fan who is going through it even more than both of us, and this week it comes via Reddit from the New York Mets Reddit page, user named Person0249. I respect the desire to want to remain anonymous as a Mets fan in the world and online. (laughs) He or she says, when or if we ever win a World Series again, will all this nonsense make it that much better? I'm in a weird place right now after nine total hours of driving today back and forth from Michigan and dropping $500 on tickets, food, and parking for my two children and I. And although you can never complain about a day at the ballpark with your kids, 
I continue to ask why the fuck I do this to myself. I'm lucky that right now these are the things that cause me concern, and I'm sure I'll be back at 7, 10 p.m. tomorrow night, but I'm just emotionally exhausted by this team. And what's the right thing to do as a parent, Alex? My kids are shot. They're already in. But is there any rational and decent argument for pushing your kids in another direction if you're a fan of a team like the Mets? Or is the shared emotion, either good or bad, worth it regardless? My theory? Pretty poignant. (laughs) My theory? Mickey Calloway burner account. (laughs) Look, he says says he's sure he'll be back at 7.10 tomorrow night, but he doesn't know. He's not sure. Mickey Calloway is definitely not sure he's going to be back at 7, 10 p.m. tomorrow night. <laughs> His fingerprints are all over this, man. Um, I'm so sorry, person 0249. My heart goes out to you. That's uh, it's tough. We've, we've all been there, certainly. You and I have been there as much as anyone. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, and go over some of the news of the past week when we come back. So, Bobby, we don't often discuss umpires on this show uh, because I think that most of the time we we don't need to. They're just doing their job. They're calling balls and strikes. They're trying not to get replaced by robots. And uh, and really, aren't we all right? So I sympathize with them. Uh, but once in a while, once in a while, an ump show comes along that is that is so good, that is just so precious that we must discuss it on the podcast. And that's what uh, that's what the umpires gave us this past week via a Manny Machado outburst and their ensuing reaction, which uh, which was disproportionate to say the least. Um, last weekend, the Padres were playing the Rockies. And Manny Machado was getting particularly upset with home plate umpire Bill Welke and his strike zone. And uh, and after being rung up on strikes, he turned around and uh, made this clear to Welke and maybe bumped up against him, maybe didn't. Uh, Welke tossed him immediately and, uh, and obviously Machado was displeased and shouted and screamed and threw his bat to the side as major league players are wont to do. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, he got a one-game suspension for it. He lost his cool a little bit. Okay, we all we all wipe our hands with it, of it and move on. <laughs> no, sir, because the Major nah. League Baseball Umpires <laughs> Association had something to say about all of this. I'm not even going to read you the the statement just yet. I'm just going to read you the hashtags of their of their tweet that they sent out. Oh, here we go. All of them. Here we, we're, here we go. Oh, gear up. Oh, uh, Oh, I'm going to read all of them. I'm going to read all the hashtags. <laughs> Hashtag disappointed. Hashtag lead by example. Hashtag not appreciated. Hashtag violence. Hashtag temper tantrum. Hashtag, hashtag inaction. Hashtag not tolerated. Hashtag make an example of. Hashtag one game suspension. Hashtag repeat offender. Hashtag nonsense. Hashtag MLBUA. And then you got to keep the brand involved. You got to keep the brand involved. And then they tag Major League Baseball in case they didn't see it. Uh, the Padres just to let them know they're watching them. And uh, and Buster only in case he wants to write a puff piece on them. Oh boy, <laughs> Bobby, what is what is going on here? Do you have you read this statement that they made? I have read this statement. It it made me feel very queasy when I saw the part where they called it a temper tantrum and started talking about make an example of it's a weird moment for major league baseball umpires to try the umpire major league baseball umpires association to try to police someone who's not part of their union and is actually part of the players union. 
all of that is is very obvious and was pointed out by people much smarter than us about these topics and long ago. I can relate on the in about wanting to just tag a journalist who might give you some exposure. You know, we should start <laughs> doing that for our podcast. We should just be like tagging, I don't know, who's a journalist who has a lot of exposure right now? Tim Healy. Let's tag Tim Healy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I can also relate to this ratio. 4.3 thousand replies, 361 retweets, 1.4 thousand likes. There we go. And the third thing I can relate to is Katie Nolan as the first response saying, what an incredibly niche parody account. <laughs> 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 in um, response to the Major League Baseball Empire account in the original tweet. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we put this on the outline for this show and it's like, there's not a particular take to really have about this, right? Like, it's bad, of course. It's bad all around. I mean, Machado Machado probably earned the one-game suspension for throwing the bat. The, the contact with the umpire was, it was existent, but not that dramatic. I just felt like we needed to, we could not let this this episode of this podcast go without talking about, because this happened right after we released our last podcast, without talking about just like the weird relationship between umpires and players in that it seems like it's antagonistic before the game ever even starts. Yeah, well, you mentioned that, you know, he, he threw his bat and he bumped the umpire. And this is, this feels like something that, I have seen before, but never have I seen a response like this. And the and the statement that they made, that they posted on Twitter, at least, because they posted a long-form version on Facebook for whatever reason, because, you know, Facebook for is... For all of those yeah. people consuming the, the Facebook content of the MLB <laughs> Umpires Association. It's a content world we're living in here, man. It really is. They know how to diversify their social media portfolio, at least. Um, they said do better than us. <laughs> We've stopped posting on Facebook. We haven't posted to our Facebook page in over a year. I know. I know. We're we're losing out on all those uh, all the crossover fans between us and the MLB UA. <laughs> MLB UA, come work for tipping pitches. <laughs> um, their statement said that Machado re- received a, a one game suspension for contact with an umpire over balls and strikes, and all caps violently throwing his bat against the backstop with absolutely no regard to anyone's safety. Violence in the workplace is not tolerated, and offenders yeah. are dealt with severely and even made examples of for the good of its employees, as well as the company itself. Is this truly what MLB wants to teach our youth? And I'm like, I swear to you, I've seen Bryce Harper get more upset over balls and strikes this season than Manny Machado. I mean, like, this sort of thing feels like a dime a dozen incident, and it's bizarre for them to to pick this one and single this player out very publicly. I mean, it's to the point where the the literal league issued a statement basically telling them to shut the fuck up and being like, yo, <laughs> guys, take a seat. <laughs> We've got this handled. Um, like you were saying, I don't have, have a coherent take about this, although I do think it's important to note that Machado has a... Uh, has a reputation that follows him that I don't think is necessarily deserved, but he has this reputation as this, like, you know, he's got the swagger and he's kind of a hothead and he made those like Johnny hustle comments. And I, I would, I just wonder if this would come at a player like, uh, like Adam Eaton or something like that, <laughs> you know, like a, like a hard nosed guy who, who plays the game the right way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you know, it was pointed out, by many members of Padres Twitter that Nolan Arenado had a similar incident with an umpire in the same series and didn't get the one-game suspension that Machado got. 
Um, it's kind of always been this way in baseball. Like nobody ever thinks that they're getting good calls in baseball. Nobody ever sees the strike zone the way that the umpire sees the strike zone. And it starts to get really complicated when when that kind of thing meshes with some of the reputational stuff that that follows around Manny Machado in in particular. And he's such a divisive player to many members of the baseball media and even more divisive to fan bases that, I don't know, it's not surprising that the umpires are the ones that are siding against Manny Machado in this situation based on what I know about what fans don't like Machado for various reasons. <laughs> well, I, I just hope that the umpires don't resort to wearing white armbands this time around. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> this <laughs> is a watershed moment because we're talking about umpires and it's not about instant replay. So wow. we're saving the people from an instant replay rant. I really... <laughs> I'm happy to not have to yell about how we waste so much time on that stupid thing. Um, before I before I do start ranting about instant replay, let's move on. One other piece of news that we wanted to get to this week before we move on to three up, three down was the honestly bizarre piece of news that came out earlier in the week about the the Tampa Bay Rays potentially splitting their season up by by halves and spending the first half in Tampa Bay and the second half in a new stadium in Montreal, Alex. Can you give me a few more details on what the hell is going on in Tampa Bay and why they think it's a good idea to make players live in two separate cities in one MLB season? Um, Bobby, I'm actually not sure that I can give you many details on what the hell is happening on Tampa Bay because I have no idea. Um, Jeff Passan reported it that uh, that they basically wanted to play early season home games in the Tampa Bay area and then they would play the remainder of the year in the Montreal um, and I guess MLB has very tentatively given them the the go ahead to just like explore the idea, uh, whatever that really means. But this all comes on the heels of the Rays ownership throwing a temper tantrum because tax pay- big tax- week for temper tantrums, yeah, huh? Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, taxpayers won't fund a new stadium, and so the owners are basically like, yeah well, screw you, we're going to move the team to another city for half the year. How do you like them apples? Tell um, us all this time. Yeah, seriously. I, I can't wrap my head around this, and I cannot imagine that this sort of thing would ever happen because it does not make any sense. But should we at least entertain the idea of the, uh, of the Montre Bay um, race bows? Montreux X-rays. X-rays sounds way better. What were you talking about? Race bows. Ra- race bows. I kind of, I kind of like that. Everyone was doing X-rays, and I didn't want to just like, you know, rip everyone off. No, we should not entertain this idea. What are we doing here? Obviously not. For for logistical reasons, this cannot happen. Like my first reaction to this was absolutely not. First of all, this has never been done in sports, as far as I can tell. I mean, I know that there are other examples of this happening, like. A long time ago in the NFL, for example, like the Packers played in one city for part of the year and another city for another part of the year. But that was all still within the same state, right? It was all still within Wisconsin. In this situation, I mean, I know travel is better than it's ever been and all these teams charter jets and whatnot. But I just don't know how you can ask players to say to their families, we live in Tampa Bay for the first 81 games and we live in Montreal for the other 81 games. Like, do players just not have the opportunity to see their kids who are in school for 81 games of the year? Like there are real life consequences to, to these harebrained ideas that come from 
owners wanting to leverage cities into giving them not one, but two free baseball stadiums. <laughs> and it's just frustrating that like that the solution to the problem of attendance in Tampa Bay is not like, let's try to get excited about this young team or even let's build a new stadium that people want to go to more because I know there are a lot of problems in Tampa Bay with accessibility to the stadium and attendance and all of these things. And I'm not an expert or anything like that, but to me, it seems like if my team spent half of their season, like if the Mets were suddenly like, listen, I know we're a mess. What if we try this? 81 games in Berlin. What do you say? I don't think that I'm going to be like, hell yeah, everything's going well. I'd love to come. I'd love to come to more baseball games, Mr. Wilpon. Principal owner Stuart Sternberg um, told the Tampa Bay Times, my priority remains the same. I am committed to keeping baseball in Tampa Bay for generations to come. And it's like, that's not what this sounds like right here. Sounds like you want to skip town for half the year. And they tried to rationalize it by being like, oh, well, this is going to save costs because you wouldn't have to build a domed stadium in Montreal because during the, the shitty time of the year, we'll be in, in Tampa Bay. But it just sounds like a whole lot of gymnastics and not much about anything actually reasonable. The Deadspin lead um, for this is, uh, this sounds like hanging out with your friends and smoking a ton of weed and wondering aloud, dude, what if a team could like play in two cities? <laughs> And that's really what this sounds like. Like, there's no, this feels more like trying to gain leverage against the city after they didn't give you what you want. And so, frankly, like, it's very on brand for a person with a lot of money to basically hold the baseball team over a city. Yeah, man. Listen, Tampa Bay, if there's one final thing, if there's one final plea I can make to you for this idea, as someone who's been in a long distance relationship for the last year and is trying to spend as much time on one coast as another coast. It's not easy, my guys. It's not easy. And it's it's a lot easier if you can just consolidate. <laughs> Which you already are consolidated. So, I don't know. I, I don't think that this is going to be happening anytime soon, Alex. How about you? Uh, I don't think so. Although I do think that the, the Rays are very eager to make up the distance between them and the other shitty uh, Florida team. I think they were just getting a little jealous about the, all the press that Derek Jeter was getting. Listen, the Rays are actually good. So yeah. my advice would be just focus on making people come see the good team that you already have in the city that you're already in. Um, oh, if only it were my, that easy. <laughs> and then my other piece of advice would be bring the Expos back at Rob. At Rob. Yeah. Give us two new teams and make one of them in Montreal. That's Please, all you got to do, love right? At MLB, at Buster ESPN. You heard it here first. <laughs> Write that story, Buster. All right, one more quick break. We're going to come back. Our recurring segment, three up, three down. All right, Alex, it's three up, three down time. Best time of the week. My favorite time of the pod every time we do it. Uh, For any new listeners, three up, three down. It's our running power ranking for the entire season of the things that we are thinking and caring most about in the baseball world. Uh, It's a list of nine. Three go on it every week and three go off it every week. Hence the three up, three down. I'll kick us off this week because I feel like I always ask you to kick us off. And I don't want to put that burden on you this week. So That's so nice of you. So what's going off this week for me? The MLB draft. That came and went, huh? (laughs) Everybody's signing. 
<laughs> turns out teams get good players, I guess, and everybody gets excited for like eight hours. Yep, and then you forget uh, about them for four years. Seriously, there's a, that's an entirely new problem. <laughs> uh, Clay Thompson not knowing the name of any baseball player in his quote to the media. The NBA season is over. The NBA offseason is kicking up. Is Kevin Durant going to be on the Nets? Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about it on tipping pitches, but probably not. Uh, the final thing off my list, Shohei Otani's cycle. I think I even said like when I put it on the list, I was like, I don't really care about this that much, but I just wanted to talk about Otani because we don't really talk about him that much anymore now that he doesn't pitch. But um, that's off my list as well. What's, what's coming off your list this week? All right, coming off my list this week, uh, Joey Gallo talking about hitting our our sabermetrics king, and it's only because he's off the IL now, and so I can actually see him hit instead of just hearing him talk about hitting, which is better in my book. Tough beat for him not being in the home run derby. Really tough beat. Yeah, he was like, I didn't get invited, like, so you can't really make a decision if you don't get invited. So major shade thrown. Uh, next off my list, how Todd Frazier eats his pancakes. I I will say that I'm that still thinking list. about this. It's still yeah. Remember because he eats the he, he eats <laughs> with the whole he eats the center. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say this t- still keeps me up at night from time to time. But you know the the Mets just have given me ample other things to think about. So that's been pushed off While to the side. Lie, lie in bed awake, <laughs> staring at the ceiling, thinking about Matt Chapman's contract extension. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and the last thing off my list is Pete Alonzo's denial of his interactions with aliens. Once again, only only because the Mets have have just given us way too much podcast fodder this week. But rest assured, Pete Alonzo is getting to the bottom of this. There's been a lot of Pete Alonzo talk and, and like content, you know? He's doing like videos and stuff. Yeah. I don't, he's like acting. I is, don't know. Is he? He was in a weird video uh, with McNeil for the all-star voting uh, promotion where they like recreated the scene from Step Brothers where they go in and do all those interviews and they fail miraculously. <laughs> Alonzo <laughs> and McNeil did that together. I can't believe you didn't see that. That probably should have been one of our three ups at one point in the season, but... It was so bad, man. I can't even tell you how bad it was. Like, I, it was like two and a half minutes long, and I made it like a minute and 30, and I was like, I think my eyes are bleeding. (laughs) I love this. This is what we need. This is what Rob Manfred wants, right? Like, he wants players marketing themselves. The content era is here for baseball. (laughs) It's only 10 years late to the party. Yeah. But, um, all right. What's, what's going on your list this week? Okay. The first thing that's actually going on my list this week is Marcus Stroman versus Dennis Eckersley. Alex, did you see this? No, I did not see this. Tipping Pitches has had a lot of celebration talk over its actually kind of long life. We've been doing this podcast for like almost two years now, whether you should be allowed to celebrate, what situations you should be allowed to celebrate in. And we think here that you should be allowed to celebrate literally whenever the fuck you do something good. And uh, Marcus Stroman also thinks that. So he celebrated a little bit too hard against the Red Sox. He struck out Eduardo Nunez to end the sixth inning last Sunday, and he kind of yelled and sort of turned towards the Red Sox dugout. And Dennis Eckersley called that gesture tired, (laughs) which I'm like, shout out to Dennis Eckersley for like co-opting the language of the left there. You know, like we call things tired pretty frequently. (laughs) And I, I appreciate that Eckersley framed it in that way, but it's lame to say that 
uh, a player celebrating a strikeout, an important strikeout to end an inning is tired, especially when you're Dennis Eckersley and you were known throughout your career for being very demonstrative. So that's the first thing I'm thinking about this week, Alex, is Dennis Eckersley critiquing one of the most aggressive celebrators in Major League Baseball and Marcus Stroman. Yeah, I think that point about Eckersley being a celebrator is a, a very important one because some of this guy's most famous moments have been capped with like massive fist pumps or something like that. And it's like, well, you don't need you don't need to go there. Just let Marcus Stroman yell at the Red Sox dugout. Everyone should do more yelling at the Red Sox dugout as it is. <laughs> so like <laughs> um That's what's fun, right? Pro- the rivalry is fun there. These teams should should have a little bit of playful I don't like you. They're yeah, division yeah, rivals absolutely. in theory. I mean, the Jays are pretty bad right now. Stroman went a little hard after the game in tweeting, his comments are always trash. <laughs> but hey, man, if you have a Twitter in 2019, I guess let it fly. Yeah. This honestly, goes back to the NBAization of baseball where players get on Twitter after games and say, this dude trash. Yep. Literally, the MLB UA and Marcus Stroman are really leading the way this week on, uh, <laughs> on how you should be using Twitter. Okay, Alex, what are you adding to your list? All right, first on my list this week, Albert Pujols made his return to St. Louis. Oh my God, I didn't King. know I didn't know that I needed this in my life. And I also didn't know that it had been 11 years since he'd been back there. Um, but there was just content the entire weekend. I, I cannot believe I'm about to utter the words that I'm about to utter on this podcast. And I want to apologize. I want to apologize to you in advance. But St. Louis fans were incredibly classy. The mm. entire weekend. And mm. it really pains me to say that. I'm gritting my teeth as I do it. But they were giving him standing ovations at every turn. He homered and he got a standing ovation. They were giving Yadier Molina would was coming out in front of the plate on every at bat so that he could just have a moment. He could give the fans a moment. Um I really Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina is the bromance that I think you and I aspire to, if we're being honest. Um, we need because, to have a lot more success first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think having a podcast for for 80-something episodes counts, right? Like, Hall of Famer, we're a Hall of Fame podcast, if that. Uh, counterpoint. Nobody nobody knows about us. Um, anyway, I, I loved it all, and I kind of didn't want it to end because our Pujols has been really bad for a long time, but it was a it was a nice moment to reflect on what an incredible career he's had. Okay, number two on my list. And we could have definitely fallen down a rabbit hole talking about this for 30 minutes to open the podcast. There was a an opinion piece written in the Wall Street Journal last week by former commissioner of baseball from 1989 to 1992, Faye Vincent, who was also the former CEO of Columbia Pictures, doing a lot of important things. And that article, that opinion piece was... Uh, essentially, it was very short. It was on the. It was written on the premise that uh, the next big fight for the baseball union is going to be for players to have ownership stakes in their teams. So I think his main point was that like the next Mike Trout, while a four hundred thirty million dollar contract is obviously an unbelievable amount of money um, to look at, I think his neck. His point was that the next big frontier for the union and for any work stoppage in the in the near future is going to be that players should have some kind of equity in their teams. And I mean, listeners of this podcast will know that we feel the same way. I think it would probably fix a lot of the uh, recurring issues that we've seen in the last couple off seasons with free agency and players feeling like they're getting short shifted and 
that kind of thing. I think it would it would do a lot for just like the the climate of franchises right now if there was a way to work this out. It's a really interesting read. You should go read it if you have your WSJ free article. And if you don't, um, I don't know, there's probably a bunch of people who wrote reactions to it. Alex, what do you think of that piece? I want to take it one step further. He's advocating for players having a stake in their teams. I don't know how well that would work just because players move around really often. That'd be really hard to negotiate. Players need to have a stake in the sport itself. That's a 51% stake right here. Just like could divvy up those stock options, give it to major leaguers, give it to minor leaguers. They're the, they're the main source of revenue. And yeah. like, I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek, but also like, if we want to talk about like ownership of, or having some sort of stake in the sport, like it should be in the overall health of the sport itself. Right. Like just sure. like any other employee would have some sort of stake, um, or would have some sort of like stock option, um, for a publicly traded company, yeah, yeah. for a publicly just just like the CEO does. Uh, so I don't. Faye Vincent's moving in the right direction, man. I want to. He should come on. <laughs> Where was this pitches. in 1989, fam? <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> Definitely not being spoken from the commissioner's podium. Uh, yeah. Before we move on to your number two, I, I do want to say I am glad that you mentioned minor leaguers in that because a stake in the team would could really go a long way for minor leaguers, right? And yeah. you hold your stake, and maybe it doesn't vest until you either make it to the majors or until you formally retire. And if teams really want to make the argument that they can't pay those minor leaguers right now, maybe they should have some sort of, you know, quote unquote stock option. I know it doesn't work like that because MLB is not a publicly traded company because they've been allowed to be a monopoly for whatever reason. But, you know, there are more creative ways around the current pay structure in baseball. Um, But, you know, this is slowly turning into an economics podcast. So let's move on to your number two. Number two on my list is just Andrew McCutcheon's social media presence, which if you if you don't follow him and appreciate him by now, I I urge you, I implore you to go to all your respective social media accounts and just and just hit that follow button uh, on Cutch Twenty Two or <laughs> um, whatever it is on the <laughs> respective platforms because it's so good. I'm reading so, Twitter account names today, yeah, for real. <laughs> um, he. He's out for the rest of the season because he injured his knee running the bases um, earlier this month, and it absolutely broke my heart and many Phillies fans and many baseball fans overall. But he is still going strong on social media. He posted this wonderful video this last week of himself in a in a Black Panther mask, and he's he's getting off the crutches, and it's like sepia toned, and he's got this like voiceover talking about how. Um, don't worry, like he's taken vibranium, so he's going to get back to full strength. But don't worry, vibranium's not a PED, so he's allowed to take it. Um, oh, vibranium's <laughs> not a PED. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, obviously not. I think not, Killmonger right? feels differently, but <laughs> different podcast. Um, it's, it's incredibly inspired content. Um, after the Phillies won the other night, he posted like an eight second Twitter video of him just saying, yes. Over and over and over <laughs> and over and over again, um, we always talk about like players having personalities and uh, and players being like vocal on social media and that sort of thing. But I don't think we always appreciate it when they do. So yeah. uh, go give Andrew McCutcheon a follow because he's the the true goat. We're really driving traffic for Andrew McCutcheon here. I'm sure he needs all the help that he can get from our <laughs> measly little podcast. Okay, my final thing is 
Also related to the Philadelphia Phillies, Alex, bamboo plants versus curveball machine. Are you aware of the civil war that's breaking out on Philly's Twitter and Reddit? I am quite unaware of this. <laughs> I'm glad that you are. I will explain it to you. Uh, the Phillies were on a seven-game losing streak, uh, snapped against my beloved Mets, and there is some divisiveness among the fans over what is the lucky charm that broke that losing streak. And some people feel as though it was Phillies infielder Brad Miller bringing in his lucky bamboo plant into the locker room. There's a little video on NBC Sports Philadelphia interviewing him about his lucky bamboo bamboo plant. He brought it into the locker room before they beat the Mets, and he said, quote, when we win tonight, I will have a bamboo plant for everybody in the locker room tomorrow uh, because it's such good luck, and it has been good luck for his whole life. And then, on the other side, noted should-be-fired manager Gabe Kapler had the Philadelphia Phillies take batting practice with a curveball machine, which, sure, I guess. Is that something that they don't usually do? I don't really know. It feels like you should take a one with a fastball and a curveball machine. I don't know how these things work. I'm not a Major League Baseball player. But he had them take batting practice with a curveball machine the day of the game. And then several Phillies players, I think uh, Reese Hoskins and Gene Segura among them, homered off of curveballs. And now there are a bunch of, uh, a large contingent of Philadelphia Phillies fans who think that the curveball machine is the good luck charm. And I got to say, I know people have been waiting with bated breath to hear my my stance on this issue. I think it's bamboo plant. That sounds more legit to me. Curveball machine sounds like something you would use like pretty frequently. It sounds like they probably would have used that during the seven game losing streak. The bamboo plant is classic baseball superstition. Uh, yeah, no, uh, it's this classic superstition <laughs> that we all know and love. Um, I just spent like three minutes breaking <laughs> down this stupid feud that's happening on Philly's Reddit and your response is just, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love baseball fans because they're so stupid and they're so irrational. Dumb. And my myself and you included, I don't know why we why we do this. We find some way to rationalize all these things. And so whether it's the the curveball or or the bamboo plant, I just hope you guys are happy. I just hope you're having a good time at the game and enjoying Bryce Harper's prolonged slump. Just just get out there and enjoy the sun, the sunshine. Bryce Harper threw out someone at third base the other day, so the bat's not there, Alex, but the arm still is. He's a grinder. He is a grinder. He plays the game the right way. You know this. Okay, what's your last thing? <laughs> All right, uh, the last thing on my list. The Atlanta Braves released a commercial this past week um, basically doing something that I have not really seen a Major League Baseball team do, at least in recent memory. And it's become a topic of conversation on this podcast between you and I. But they marketed themselves to women and non-cis men, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a 30-second clip that they posted to Twitter. but it And it doesn't frame women's participation in baseball as something to be like gawked at, or as this like abnormality, or as this thing that they're celebrating for one day. It was literally just... Uh, it starts. I I encourage you, the listener, to go and watch it because it really is great. Um, but it starts out kind of talking about how, like, you know, questioning this idea that like girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice, and then it cuts to like a little league game of this girl hitting um, a, a big hit, and the the coach is waving her around third, and it's really like it's it's heartwarming on its face, but it also speaks to this bigger idea of like it shouldn't be that hard. 
for Major League Baseball players to advertise themselves as a sport for all. Like the bar is so low at this point that it's it's weird that we have to be commending a baseball team for being like, hey, your your commercial includes women. Like right on, y'all. You're doing better than every other major league baseball team. But but here we are. I would like to see more baseball teams follow their lead and actually advertise their sport as an inclusive one because it should be. Very well said. Shout out to the uh, brave fans in the comments telling on themselves. Uh, those tweets <laughs> yeah. live for a long time. <laughs> that they do. All right, Alex, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that frequently we end this podcast with the Tim Tebow Power Hour. Uh, it hasn't been a recurring segment over the last month because he's not really doing anything of note. However, a quick Google search for Tim Tebow turns up the first response, Syracuse.com, letter to the editor. <laughs> Syracuse Mets should end Tim Tebow experiment. <sighs> I got to say, it is getting kind of sad. The experiment is really coming to an end. There's really not much more we can say about this, Alex. It's it's a letter from the editor, and Ryan Van Hoover uh, nails it when he says, uh, it's been a good run for Tebow, but it's time for the team to move on. Let someone else take his spot. Tim, we, we didn't want to do you dirty like this. We really were we really were rooting for you. And with the way the Mets season's going, you know, you you may be up after all, but, uh, but you got to turn it around if that's going to happen. <laughs> All right, I think that's just gonna just about do it for this week. We're not gonna do a full power hour for our man Tebow. No movies to release, no books to release, nothing to sign. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, as always, find us tipping underscore pitches on Twitter, uh, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Rate, review us on iTunes if you get the sh- if you get the chance. It's always very appreciated. We do notice all of them. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I get around, yeah, get around, round, round.